So I'm, I'm really excited to be starting a new series today titled, We Are the Church. Uh, a pastor by the name of Craig Groeschel, if you're in the Christian circles, you probably have recognized that name. He leads the largest uh, church in the United States at this point. And he preached a series like this back in 2022. He titled it the same. Uh, and I took a lot of inspiration uh, for how this series is laid out, some of the themes, the ideas, uh, even some of the talking points, and applied it to our series. Uh, of course, we don't have a church of over 50,000, uh, but uh, we do have a small church. So I, I've tweaked it some. I've taken some of what he said. I've thrown away some of what he said. Not that it wasn't good, uh, but just trying to apply it to our context. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what it even means to be a church. And if you were here at the beginning of the year, we started off our year with a book through or a book study through Acts. And uh, we talked about the early church and what it looked like in the early church and how that's different from our experience here. But as we're about to hit the holiday season and our lives are about to become increasingly busier and busier, I believe God wants us wants to remind us of who we actually are as a church. So even though we had that series and a lot of those themes are going to be repeated in this series, it's a short, small series for us to remind us of who we are and a chance for me to cast vision. But we are the church we're more than four walls. We're here to equip, to encourage, and to empower people to live their purpose in Christ because we are the church. And as the church, we have to be more than just four walls. We are a community. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47 says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe of the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. If you would pray with me as we open up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and for this moment that we're able to dive into your word and to listen to what you have to say to us today. So Lord, I just ask that you would open up our hearts to receive this message. Lord, speak through me as you always do. Lord, let it not be my words, but let it be your words that are spoken to the people gathered here today and gathered online. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So normally I don't have you say anything, but I'm going to do a little bit, something a little bit different with this new series. I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and say, I'm glad that you're here today. Right? Turn to the other person and say, it's great to see you too. Now, if they're sitting a few chairs over, tell them I'd sit closer, but you need a mint. Come on. <laughs> now, if you're sitting next to an empty seat, if you're sitting next to an empty seat, say to yourself, self, come on, here, self, I need to invite someone to come and sit by me next Sunday, right? Um, 
you and the two that you talk to, right? I know we've got Charlotte over here and my wife's over here. Just kind of look at each other, right? You're going to be part of this group. Now you look over at Pat Wall, right? There you go. Groups of three. So the people that are sitting next to you or close to you, that's your group of three, all right? We're going to make this little group of three. In 2021, Harvard University conducted a study that discovered that one in three people in the United States believe that they have needs in their life and no one to meet them that they have hurts to share and no one to listen to them. And they have love to give and no one to receive it. In this study, they found it was actually more than one third, one in three, it's 36% of Americans report serious loneliness, feeling lonely frequently, almost all the time or all the time. One out of every three Americans in this study, they found feel lonely, anxious, and depressed. And what that means is that one in every group of three in here could feel lonely right now. And you may never know it, you may never discover it, but they feel lonely and anxious and heartbroken and depressed right now. What I also found heartbreaking in this is that they broke it down between different age groups. And the largest age group that was experiencing this was young adults. In fact, 43% of young adults reported increased loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. And about half of young adults in the survey reported that no one in the past few weeks had taken more than just a few minutes to ask how they were doing in a way that made them feel like the person genuinely cared. Young adults also suffer from high rates of loneliness and anxiety and depression. The CDC conducted a survey around the same time and found that 63% of young adults are suffering significant symptoms of anxiety and depression. One out of every three people feels lonely, anxious, or depressed. And over half of young adults suffer from anxiety and depression. One in three people are missing out on an intimate relationship with a community. One in three are missing out on a community. And so I envision a church that doesn't rush out when the service is over, but stays behind and talks because of the community that we have. I see a church that invites others to go out to eat and to come into our own homes and to eat, and they don't leave when the check is paid. A dream of a church that brings community beyond these walls and out into the homes of the lost. I have a vision for a church with a loving community, a church that encourages each other to live their purpose in Christ every single day of their life. How many of you want that church? How many of you want to cling to that vision? And how many of you know that Shady Grove's on their way to be in that community? Mother Teresa, uh, the world's greatest tragedy is unwantedness, and the world's greatest disease is loneliness. And you know, God's plan was never for us to be alone. It was never part of his plan. It was never part of what he wanted. In fact, being alone is actually not of God at all. The reason that you feel lonely, the reason that we struggle with loneliness, and one in three struggle with loneliness is because of our enemy. Our enemy likes to isolate us, to make us feel alone. So that it destroys us because we were designed for community. We were designed for relationship. And I love how John Milton puts it. He says, loneliness is the first thing which God's eye named not good. 
And it's so true. If you look in the book of Genesis, God is creating the heavens and the earth. He creates the light and he separates it from the darkness, forming night and day. He creates sky and the oceans and the planets and, and the sun, moon and stars, plants, everything. He even formed and molded from the dust of the ground a man and breathed the breath of life into him. And throughout this whole creation story, every single uh, time that he creates something, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And when he creates man, he says, it's very good. But then in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, it says, the Lord said, it is not good that a man to be, what? Alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God created the animals and Adam one by one named all of the animals. Talk about a task, naming all the animals, but he, he names all the animals, but there's no suitable helper. So what does God do? God creates Eve and Adam says, yes, a woman. I needed a woman in my life, right? The cats don't like me. The dogs are great, but they can't talk to me. They can just bark at me right? The deer are, are plentiful and they're great to look at. They're graceful, but there's no one that can talk to me. And so he's excited about Eve. And then God says, it is very good. But even in God's perfect creation, even outside of God's perfect creation, we can still see that we were never meant to be alone, to feel alone, because God himself has always been and always will be in a complete and perfect community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's an infinite, perfect relationship between the three persons of the Trinity. It's part of the mystery of God in this Trinity, that he is one God, but three distinct persons. And in this, we see that there's this perfect, unified community, even with just God himself. And so if God has a community with just himself in the three distinct persons, and he also created us with this desire to see a community, to have a community, to connect and build relationships with others, in his perfect creation said, it's not good that they're alone, but they need someone to be with them, right? If, if all of that is true, then why does one out of every three person feel like they have needs in their life and no one to meet them, hurts to share and no one to listen, love to give and no one to receive it? Why do they feel alone? I believe part of the reason is because of the increased presence of social media. Social media has some great benefits, but it also has some great destructive patterns. What happens is that we're able to view our friends' lives without ever having any type of intimacy. And if you, you find yourself, I, I do it too, right? You find yourself scrolling through and you find out all this information about your friends, your family, what they're doing, how they've been, what's going on in their life, but you can look at all that and not have any intimate details about what actually took place, right? And COVID only accelerated it because then we were forced in our homes and the way that we could connect was through phone calls, Zoom calls, FaceTime calls, or uh, you know, whatever else, text, social media. And so companies even found ways to adapt so that their employees could work from home, which resulted in less people working in a place, and it was also less workplace relationships, right? Because if you don't like a coworker, but you're working in the same place as them, you gotta deal with them all day, right? 
But if you're working from home, you might have to be on a Zoom call with that person for about an hour, an hour or two, and then what, you can, do, what can you do? You don't have to deal with them anymore, right? So the hassle of dealing with and building and maintaining relationships is gone with social media. It's gone with this digital age. Our increased time on social media has given us this false sense of closeness with friends that we follow, but no real intimacy. And if we're honest, relationships, they get messy, right? If you've ever been in a deep, intimate relationship, it's messy, right? Don't you be looking at your spouses. It gets messy. Intimacy in relationships, it's difficult to maintain. It takes a lot of work. It's worth it but it takes a lot of work and social media takes out all the work that's necessary. I don't even have to encounter or talk or deal with the person to know everything about them. But we all know that Facebook and social media, it's all based on what that person desires to be posted, right? You can go on my, my Facebook page. I don't have Instagram. I don't have Twitter. I don't have TikTok. I just have Facebook and Facebook's too much for me anyways. Right? I'm, I'm a weird young adult. I don't like social media at all. Uh, but you can scroll on there. You're not going to find much because I don't post very often. Uh, you'll find a lot from my mom, but you'll find barely anything from me. Right? And you can scroll through there, but I'm only, only allowing things to be posted that I have approved. Right? If you look on my timeline, I have to approve anything that's tagged, that has me tagged in it. Sometimes I don't always allow myself to be tagged by mom right? It's not that I'm against anything. I just don't think I'll look good in some of the pictures, right? She knows this. We're good. But anything that I want to be posted on my wall, I'm going to allow that. It's going to go through some sort of filter that I have. So when you scroll through my wall trying to Facebook stalk me and figure out who I am, you're going to be looking at what I've presented to the world but you're never gonna know the intimate details about me until you build that relationship and maintain it. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's happened to me and I've, I've caught myself doing it to other people, but people that I don't know and people that I rarely get a chance to talk to will come up to me and tell me things about me as if they were there, as if they were highly involved in my life. And uh, this has happened at Walmart. They'll see me in Walmart and there's nothing wrong with this. Like, I appreciate the conversation, so don't take it that way. I love the conversation. I love interacting with people. And, but, but they'll talk to me, and they'll be like, you know, well, congratulations. I'm like, congratulations on what? And, well, this was back a few years. Well, I saw that you were engaged. It's like, I was engaged five months ago. Like, well, why are we pretending like this is a new thing now? I'm like, thank you. I, I appreciate it. But in my mind, I know it's all digital. Oh, that they're looking at things that my mom has posted, that, that I've posted myself or that my wife's posted, and, and they're seeing these things, but they're acting like they're there. I've caught myself doing it because there's times where I'll watch a video of someone that I actually do interact with some, and when I go, I find myself, I'll go to other people and I'll say, well, this person told me, and then I remember, no, I watched it in a video. They weren't talking to me. They were talking to whoever was on Facebook that day, Right? But we have this, this thing in our minds that tells us we're closer than what we actually are. And because the social media has created barriers in our communication, no wonder we feel so lonely. 
because we have all of these needs and we feel like no one's there to meet them because we don't have any intimate relationships. Where there's no real intimacy in our relationships, we will silently suffer, even if we don't know about it. And the apostles of Jesus Christ, they, they craved it. They needed each other. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to deal with all the persecution that they've gotten. That, that they got. They wouldn't have to, they wouldn't be able to deal with all of the backlash and, and people dying right in front of them. They needed community and they knew it. So what did they do? What did they do so that they wouldn't allow themselves to suffer, but they would strive to have real relationships? Well, Acts chapter two, verses 46 and 47 explains it. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day they met together. That if you were part of the early church, there was not a single day out of any year that would go by that you weren't with some other person from that church. Every single day they met together in the temple court. So it's like, basically they had church gatherings every day where we have them on Sundays and Wednesdays. They had it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, right? They had all of them. And they're meeting in the temple courts. They weren't meeting in a building, but just in the courtyard of the temple. And how different is it compared to now? Well, if the Bible was written about the church today, 2000 years from now, the church of 2,000 years from now looks back at our church and they, they, not just our church, but the church in general here in America. This is how it might be written. Once or twice a month, they met together in their church buildings to sing and listen to a preacher. Very few of the believers were together more than that. They claimed to love God, but then they didn't even love each other. So they felt empty, alone, and depressed. And as a result, most people disliked them and very few lives were changed. See how drastically different that is. We often look at passages like Acts and we look at the early church and we're like, wow, we're so in awe of how thousands of people, like right before it's talking about how they built these relationships by meeting together, Peter preached one sermon and 3,000 people came to know Christ because of that sermon. Right? I mean, I, I've never preached a sermon like that. I don't understand the power of that. But we look in awe and we're like thousands of people are getting to know Christ. And then we read the end of that. After these 3,000, then there's daily, they added followers, meaning every day they saw salvations, they saw baptisms every single day of the year. And we look at that and we're like, that seems so out of our reach. Do you realize this started with 12 people? But it seems so out of our reach. And I, I, I did some math for you, so you don't have to. You know how many baptisms that is a year? Seven days a week, 52 weeks out of the year. It's 365. You're welcome. 365 salvations and baptisms every single year. And it was probably more than that for the early church, but, but that was the minimum. At least one person was getting saved every single day of the week. So every Sunday, they're having seven or more baptisms. Every single week, they're, they're seeing seven or more baptisms. And so I, I just wonder, what changed? 
What changed from 2,000 years ago when this church is being established? They're seeing people added to their number. People are getting saved and baptized every single day, right? There wasn't a day of the week that wasn't represented. And now we don't see that. What happened? I think part of it is we lost our intimate, accountable relationships with one another. Instead of intentionally seeing each other 365 days a year, we see each other once or twice a month, depending on how busy we are on average. So we went from 365 days a year as a church to 12 to 24 days a year on Sunday mornings, twice a month. And then I I know what some of you are thinking, well, I'm here every Sunday and every Wednesday. I'm doing a lot better than 12 to 24 days. So Sunday morning, Wednesday night, right? This is the times that the church gathers here at, at Shady Grove. We went from 365 days a year gathering as a church family to 104 days out of the year, right? Which is better than 12 to 24, but it's still less than a third of what they had. And it's less than a third. And so no wonder that a third of people feel lonely. A third of people feel the lack of intimate relationships because we meet a third of the time. So how do we as a church rediscover this intimacy and rid ourselves of loneliness? I have a few talking points for you. The first one is that we demonstrate the grace of God to everyone, no matter what their background is. Philippians 1, 7 says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So when people fail, when they fall, we encourage them, we build them up. We extend the grace that we received from God because they're broken just like we are. When others confess, about how they are broken, about the sinful things that they've fallen into. We don't condemn them or cast them out. We love them. We welcome them. We, we pray for them. We help them and we encourage them along their faith journey, right? When people don't show up to certain services that we think that they should, instead of condemning them, we accept them. We pray for them. We welcome them. We love them. Another thing that we do is we're a safe place to share in our struggles. This is difficult for a lot of churches and a lot of people because it takes a lot of work. And it's working through a lot of things that you probably don't want to work through yourself. But we're a safe place to share in our struggles. James chapter 5 verse 16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, with confession, we're not talking about confession like Catholics, where you go into the box, you don't know who you're talking to, and you confess, right? You just only assume that it's a priest in there. not talking about that type of confession. You confess to God for forgiveness. You confess to God for forgiveness, and that's exactly what you receive. When you confess your sins to our Lord and Savior, you will receive forgiveness. Whether you have forgiven yourself or not, you will receive that forgiveness. But as James lays out, you confess to people, trusted people, I'll add trusted people in there, that you've built deep, intimate relationships with. You confess to trusted people for healing. 
that you might you, you can receive forgiveness from God all day long, but if you're not doing what James lay, lays out, you're going to continue to feel lonely in your struggle because you're not finding that healing through confession to trusted people. I was listening to a pastor not too long ago, about a month ago, and he said something to the extent of this. If you find yourself struggling with the same t- sin and same temptation, it's an indicator that you're trying to conquer that sin alone. You see, we were never meant to take on sin alone. We weren't meant to take on temptations alone. We weren't meant to take on struggles, failures, mistakes. We weren't meant to do any of that alone. Yet oftentimes we find ourselves doing that. Why? Because we wanna hide our sins. We wanna be lonely in our sins because if we're lonely in our sins, then we don't have to tell anyone. We don't have to work through the pain of telling someone else and risking our relationship with them, risking the relationship that we have with others because if they tell someone else, then it's gonna ruin my reputation, right? We go through this cycle and what happens is Satan wants us to do exactly that. It's like, oh, you're struggling with this temptation, right? Well, we'll just keep it to yourself because if you tell so-and-so, then they're gonna tell so-and-so and then they're gonna tell so-and-so and they're gonna tell so-and-so's third, fifth cousin's brother, sister. And then it's gonna spread all around town and everyone's gonna know about this intimate detail about you and you're gonna lose control over it. And when you lose control over it, you're gonna lose your reputation and no one's gonna like you. And so we take a step back and we're, we're so secretive and, and we hide our struggles and it makes us feel even more lonely than what we already were because now we don't have anyone to share in our struggles. When we don't share in our struggles, we die inside. So no wonder one in three people feel lonely because they're dying inside. But what James says is, is confess to those trusted people, confess to those people Because once you get it out in the open, you'll find that people who are grace first, those people who will extend grace first, they won't condemn you, they'll love you. They won't seek to harm you or your reputation, they'll love you, they'll pray for you, they'll encourage you. I think about uh, the time that Chloe and I, we went to a marriage conference and in that conference, we, we had to work through some of this. They wanted us to go through some trauma counseling in the, uh, uh, in the marriage conference. That brought up a lot of very deep hurts from people. And all of us were in this group. There's probably 30, 35 of us in there, or I guess since it's couples, 30 to 36 of us in there, right? There wasn't just one person straggling, right? There's, there's these people in there, and, and we're all talking, and it's silent for a while because the the guy that was running it, he said, I just want you to, to name one of the things that's on your list of trauma that you've experienced in your life. And I remember um, one of the person, one of the pastors in there actually shared a, a deep struggle that they had and that their wife knew about it, his wife knew about it, but no one else did. And he shared it. And you would think because of how we present it and how the, how the enemy convinces us we would think that everyone would be like, well, shame on him. He should leave the ministry right now, right? He shouldn't be doing any of that while he's in the ministry. But instead what happened was everyone went, oh, I'm so sorry that you've dealt with that. How can we help? And right there was the moment that healing started taking place because right one after another, 
started sharing their hurts, started sharing their deepest pains, and, and there was healing that was happening in the room. And Jesus can heal, God can heal, but he often uses people to administer that healing. And it's through that confession, through struggling or through sharing in that struggle. Galatians chapter six, verse two, extends this out and says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. It's not just a suggestion. It's a command for us to carry each other's burdens. And we as a church need to start sharing our struggles with one another. Not just to know and, and to say and to hear all the time that it's okay to not be okay, but to actually practice it. To actually change the atmosphere of the church in such a way that when broken people like ourselves walk in, they, they feel the intimate relationships that we've built. They feel the power of the healing through confession that we experience on a weekly, daily basis. And it draws them in because they desire that same type of intimacy. All right, I'll say this real quick. I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to anyways. With my generation, I know a lot of you, you look at the generation of young adults and the ones behind them and you're seeing them fall into different sinful patterns, right? I think, and I've talked to another pastor about this too, uh, who's also my age. And he, he told me this. He said, I really think what's happening when, when our teenagers that we're seeing, young adults are falling, or falling into um, you know, different sexual orientations than what's biblically aligned, to, to be furries and, and to be transgender and all of that, sinful things that we love them for it, right? We love them because they're creations of God, but they're falling into sinful patterns. And he said, what I've found is that they can't find community in church, so they find a community somewhere else, a community that loves them and supports them. I just want you, like, at some point throughout this week, Go and look at the LGBTQ community and see how much they support each other and then look at the churches that have condemned them. No wonder we're all looking for community and we'll look wherever we can find community. And I'm telling you, as wrong as their movement may be and how unbiblical their movement may be, people my age are finding a community there instead of church and we gotta change that. We, we can't allow that to happen. We gotta show them that community is found in church. It's not found outside in sinful worldly patterns because those communities won't last, but our community will last for eternity because we serve an eternal God, a God who loves, a God who gives us grace and a God who has promised us a new life and a new heaven, a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Lastly, we stay on mission as a church. We know, we believe, and we feel that we are created on purpose for a purpose. That God created us with the mission to share the love of God to the world. We find this mission in uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, where he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we call it the Great Commission, keyword commission, meaning that we are also co-laborers in this mission. We are part this great mission. God didn't have to have us in here to fulfill 
chose to have us in here, not because he needed or needed love, not because he needed to be worshiped, not because he needed a community, because he already has one. It's because he loves us and he wants us to share in this great mission that he has for us, meaning that we're working with God to fulfill this mission to go and share and make disciples. And throughout scripture, you can find many ways to fulfill this mission, but for the sake of time, I want to highlight four. I'll wrap up. (laughs) I'm running out of time. Serve one another comes from Galatians chapter five, verse 13. You and my brothers and sisters, we are called to be free, but but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. What if we relentlessly served one another? I envision a church that relentlessly served one another. We didn't hesitate to serve. We didn't wait for our schedules to open up, but we opened up our schedules so that we could serve and help one another. First Peter 4, 9 uh, talks about showing hospitality to one another. How different would the church look if we invited each other into our homes? I know we do that a lot, but... And I know that some of you have the gift of hospitality and some of you don't. But if you don't have it, it's not an excuse to not do it. Because we are called, we are commanded to be hospitable to one another. But what if you invited someone other than your friends that you always invite to come to your home? What if you invited your neighbors? What if you invited uh, your your family members that you don't like that much or your friends that, or some people in your life that you don't really care for that much to come and share a meal and start building an intimate relationship with them. You don't have to be best friends, but you gotta show them some level of community. What if you invited that one person at church that you really don't care for? All right, don't be looking at them. Instead of, instead of not, sorry, instead of not talking to them, Instead of not spending time with them, you invited them into your home and accepted their invitation into their home. The third one is encourage one another. It comes from 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Encourage, encourage, encourage. When they don't show up to church events, encourage them to come instead of condemning them for not. When they fail to fulfill their promises to you, you encourage them. When they are, fa- or when they are falling down and they're failing, feeling down on themselves, you encourage them. When they're feeling really good about themselves, you encourage them. When you don't know what they're feeling, but you just see them and you want, and you have that uh, moment where you're like, oh, I need to encourage them. You don't know what they're feeling. You don't know what they're going through. Just encourage them. Build each other up with our words and action. And the thing about encouragement is, is that it's not a cookie cutter thing, right? We like to think of encouragement as just saying, oh, you look good today, or, or oh, you, you know, you're doing some great things. No, real, true, genuine encouragement, you have to take the time to learn how they are encouraged the most. You have to take the time to, to actually build a relationship with them, to build a community with them so that you know how to communicate the encouraging words to them. We are a community. We don't rush out of the service when it's over. We stay and visit. We invite others to go and eat with one another frequently. We don't leave when the check is paid. We bring a loving, intentional community beyond these walls and into the walls of the homes of the lost. When people have needs in their life, 
we are there to meet them. When they have hurts to share, we are there to listen to them. When they have love to give, we are there to receive it. We equip, we encourage, we empower people to live their purpose in Christ. We are the church. So go and be the church.